0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to the book of Daniel. Uh, The book of Daniel, uh, chapter six. Ezekiel, Daniel. So get the Psalms, keep on going to the right so you get to Ezekiel. A little bit further, you'll get to Daniel. Uh, Daniel, chapter six. As we uh, continue in our series, Legacy, and uh, do you ever wonder what you're building? Do you ever wonder what you're leaving behind? When people think of you, what will they remember when you leave uh, a job, when you leave school, when you leave this earth? What will you be remembered for? What is what is your legacy? And so much of our legacy comes out of repetition and faithfulness and consistency and hence the counting over and over in the bumper. It's a reminder that legacy is done and a good legacy is done when we do good things and right things and the proper things with repetition, faithfulness, and consistency. We started the uh, series last week with a message on the fear of God because if you get your view of God wrong, then you get your view of yourself wrong and you end up getting it all wrong, but if you get the view of God right, then the rest of the pieces tend to fall into place. We looked at the text from Ecclesiastes 12:13: "The end of the matter: All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. for this is the whole duty of man. So the foundation of the series on legacy is the fear of God and a challenge in our hearts and lives last week to uh, how are we demonstrating that when people think about us, when they remember us, is that how we will be uh, remembered? Well, that was last week. This week we change, and what grows out of that is a a focus on prayer, and we're going to take a look at the life of Daniel and one specific area of his life. So you've got your Bibles open, I trust. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word, and we're in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter six, starting at verse seven. And all the high officials the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. and He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that we, we hold in our hands today. Thank you for the example and the model that we will see in the life of Daniel today. And Lord, as we consider our legacy, as we consider what we're leaving behind, as we're considering what we're demonstrating through repetition and practice, and Father, where does prayer fit in that for us? When people think about me, when people think about our church, when people think about us as individuals, are we leaving behind a legacy of prayer? And so God, as we learned last week to fear you, now Lord, that that shows itself out in some things in our lives. And so guide us in your word today. Give us ears to listen carefully minds, God, to understand. And then, Lord, would you give us willing hearts to respond to your word today for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. And uh, the story, obviously, today is about Daniel and uh, a little bit of background about this story. Um, In the land, the people decided at some point they wanted a king wasn't what God really wanted for them, but that's what they decided they wanted, and the Lord allowed them to have a king. That started to lead them down a path that wasn't a good path. Eventually, the uh, nation is, is divided into the North and the South, and by the time that this text happens, the North has been in exile for many, many years, and uh, because of their disobedience, they were all wicked kings in the North. In the south, uh, primarily around the area of Judah, uh, of Judah um, around Jerusalem, they went longer before they went into exile. And eventually they went into exile, and Daniel is taken into exile with them. Let's put the map up on the screen, and uh, just to see and understand what's happening here, this is around the time of the Medo Persian Empire. This is the time that Daniel is living in. He finds himself in Babylon. He was taken there when he was probably in his early teens, a young man. He was taken from Jerusalem with so many others, taken into exile. He's in Babylon. This is now uh, current-day Iraq, and just as there was struggle today there, there was struggle back then, and it continues to be a hot spot in our world, and that's where Daniel finds himself. Not where he wants to be, not where he uh, desired to be as a young man. He wanted to be in Jerusalem. That's where he wanted to be, but he's taken. He is in Babylon. Well, I did a survey And the survey asked, when you think of Daniel the man, what comes to mind? When you think of Daniel the man, what comes to mind? And the survey was taken, and the top five answers go like this. The number five thing that people think about when they think about Daniel was the writing on the wall and his ability to interpret it. The number four thing was the interpretation of the king's dream that ultimately led to the fall of that nation. The number three thing for all the eschatological end times guys was um, Daniel's prophecy about the weeks. The number two thing was when Daniel was first taken and the king wanted him to eat certain food and he said, uh, that doesn't fit into our diet. That's not what we were brought up with. That's not the law that we were under. And he made his stand for the Lord and was given an opportunity to eat the food that he believed was right. And uh, after the testing time, it proved out that uh, they were okay. And those are the top, those are the four things, but when the survey was taken and the question was answered, when you think about Daniel, what do you think of? The number one answer was what? The lion's den, of course it was. And, and if you grew up as a kid in Sunday school or in wanna or whatever, somewhere along the line in your life, you saw a flannel graph presentation of Daniel in the lion's den. So that's a flashback for all of you who can remember those things and and what Daniel went through and the fact that he's put in a lion's den and, and God protects him in the lion's den. But here's the real question. Why was he there? Why was he there? And the answer to the question of why he was there is because he would not stop praying. He wouldn't stop praying. The injunction was no praying for 30 days. And Daniel continues to pray. Now it's interesting, in my mind is I grew up as a kid um, because the story of Daniel and the eating and all that was when he was young. And I thought this was just kind of like a few weeks later this happens and that's not in fact true. If you go through, you'll see a whole kingdom changes at about the beginning of chapter six. And so from the time Daniel goes to Babylon and this text, there's probably 50 or so years that have gone by. So when Daniel finds himself in the lion's den, he's somewhere between 70 and 80 years old. He's not a kid, he's not a kid. But when he's told he can't pray, except to the king, well, Daniel has to do what he has to do. It's far better for him to obey God rather than man. But it didn't happen in a moment. It wasn't like you can't pray and all of a sudden it's like, what, what, I gotta, Daniel had been praying for 80 years. And so when this decree comes down, when this injunction comes down, Daniel does a thing that he's always done. And so today as we take a look into the text, we wanna see six keys from Daniel's life that built a legacy of prayer. What were six things that he did that built for him a legacy of prayer? What happened during the difficult time for him, what happened to him when the injunction comes down, was something that he had learned and been faithful to in the trenches. Uh, So often for us, we get caught up in something, and we try and fix it and do all the things we can, and after a certain period of time, we come to the, oh my goodness, I never thought to pray. And then we pray. It wasn't, that wasn't the story for Daniel. It's what Daniel knew. It's what he did. And so the first thing we want to take a look at, if you want to have a legacy of prayer, as Daniel had, a legacy of prayer begins with a personal relationship. A legacy of prayer begins with a personal relationship. Look at the end of verse 10. Much of what we're going to see today is out of verse 10. But at the end of it, it says, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God before his, his God, as he had done previously. And then verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Maybe you remember when we studied Psalm 23, we studied the Lord is my shepherd, and, and, and David understood that he had a relationship with his God. Well, Daniel understood the same thing. He had a relationship with God and a relationship that couldn't be broken, and when push came to shove, He was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. Are you? Are you a person of prayer? And are you a person of prayer because, as we learned last week, out of our fear of God and understanding who He is and wanting to be in a right place with Him, are you a person of prayer? Sitting at my desk this week, and I wrote down a number of reasons why we don't pray. We don't pray because we don't believe that we need to. We just kind of think we've got our lives figured out. We've got the pieces in place and I don't really need to pray. Maybe we don't pray because we weren't taught to pray and we don't know how to pray. We somehow think, oh, I'm not gonna say the right things. I'm gonna say it in the wrong way, really? You think God is all that hung up on whether you put your I dotted in the right place and T crossed and whether you say in Jesus' name at the beginning of your prayer or at the end of the prayer, we haven't been taught and and so we're afraid to pray or or you hear the professional who prays and he's thought about what he's gonna pray about before this and you go, man, I can't pray like that, like that's smooth. Yeah, well it can be smooth and go about this far. I've never been taught to pray but just talk to God just understand who he is and what he's done for you and you just come to him and you talk to him in reverence and awe, obviously. But people don't pray because they haven't been taught or they don't know how. Some people don't pray because they don't want to. I don't want to pray. I don't want to pray because I know if I do, I'm going to be convicted about some things in my life and I really don't want to change those things in my life. And so it's better for me just not to pray, I don't want to pray. Um, Some people don't pray because they're not in any specific trouble. And the only time they ever pray is when things are bad. And they don't take the time to rejoice in what God is doing and and learn from the blessings that he's poured out on us. And and so because uh, there's nothing bad going on, we just don't pray. Sometimes we don't really believe it does anything. Because we haven't prayed, we've never taken stock of God's answering prayer and therefore it's just not even on our list of things that we should do. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't care about things. Maybe it's a neighbor or a family member and they've angered you to a point of, I'm not even praying for them anymore. I just don't even care anymore. God help us all when we get to that place. Here's another reason we don't pray. We don't because we didn't. You don't pray because you've never prayed. And you have an opportunity today to start to change that. But because it's not a pattern in your life, it's it's not what you do. Did you notice what it said about uh, Daniel? It said, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. What? As he had done previously. As he had done previously. We don't pray because we didn't. Sometimes we don't pray because it takes time and discipline. Um, sometimes we don't pray because we think too small. We're thinking, oh, my life's in control. I'm all right. And we're not asking God to do any big thing. We're not asking him. A, a man came up to me after the service uh, last night whose, whose son, who is 29 years old, has rejected Christ. And uh, he's broken about it. And asked me to pray for his son. Because he wants his son to know Jesus Christ. And, and, and I said to him, you don't ever give up you don't ever give up. As long as he has breath or you have breath, you don't ever give up. And don't believe that God can't do it. God can do it, and we do our part, but sometimes we just don't think God can do stuff. So we think too small. We don't pray because we underestimate the role of the devil in our lives, and the evil one, and the, and the things he throws in front of us, and we're like, yeah, it's not that big a deal. And yet we wallow in our sin and we don't have victory and we underestimate his value in our, his role in our, in our prayers and, or our need for prayer. We underestimate the role of the Spirit of God. And we don't understand that without the Spirit's help we're not going anywhere good. And we just underestimate it and we just do things in our own strength. We don't pray because we overestimate our own value. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Um, many times we don't pray because it's hard work. Prayer's a little bit like exercise. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's not easy. It's hard work. It takes discipline. And sometimes we don't pray because it's a battle. It's a battle. Satan doesn't want you to pray. The evil one doesn't want you crying out to the Lord, and so you don't pray. You don't pray. What well, we see in this text that Daniel prayed, He prayed. It was the natural thing for him to do when things got hard. What did he do? He prayed. He went to the Lord. He remembered the things he had been doing for so long. And so he prayed. And so today's message is not a message about how to pray. It's not going to, here's five easy steps on how to pray. Um, You can use the acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We do that in our our prayer nights all the time around here. You go to God and you pray and remember those things. This is not a message about how. This is a message about the things that Daniel did when he left the legacy. And this legacy that he had was based on a relationship with God and a relationship with God. He had seen God work. And so he prayed the chapters before this, you have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three guys who are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace if they won't bow. And they won't bow. And they cry out to God. And, and then they say to the king, if God delivers us, that's okay. But if he doesn't, that's okay too. And God protects them. And Daniel saw that. And he saw God's working. And he had this relationship with his God It says in verse 10 that his window in his upper chamber was open towards Jerusalem. Um, That wasn't so people could see him praying. He wasn't flaunting what he was doing. He was being faithful in what he was doing. But uh, one of the commentators said, why was the window open towards Jerusalem? And the comment was, remembering the place of sacrifice even when there was no sacrifice. And, And Daniel is praying before God And he's focused on God's faithfulness and God's goodness and what God had for them, and because he had a relationship with his God. So, if you want to have a legacy of prayer, it begins in a relationship. We understand that now in the New Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and what he did when he came when he paid the price for our sin, when he suffered in my place, when my sin was put on him, and when I trusted Christ and his righteousness was put on me, and in 1 John, we see now we are called the sons of God because we have a relationship with him. So the question that everyone in the room has to answer is, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have that relationship? Because praying is an empty thing without that relationship. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So, do you have a relationship? Have you come to the place of understanding what Christ did for you and you were separated from him and you didn't have any hope and Jesus Christ came and he was the price that was paid for your sin and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved it's as simple as that. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Jesus did it for you. And the relationship happens because of who he is and what he did. And all you can do is believe. John three sixteen. God loved the world so much he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's as simple as praying and trusting Jesus Christ, turning from your sin, in the hope of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Daniel's legacy of prayer began in a personal relationship. He prayed before his God. When we understand the fear of God, when we understand the relationship with God, it brings us to a place of prayer. So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Uh, he understood that a prayer was the highest priority. In verse 10 it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, and Daniel is now confronted with a test of loyalty. There's a test of loyalty before him. Am I going to obey God, or am I going to obey man? A test of loyalty. Am I gonna obey the king, or am I gonna pray to the king of kings? It was a test of loyalty. You know, I can't help but think of what's going to happen in our nation and in North America in the next 10 years as we watch it crumbling every day. You hear the decrees that are being made and the laws that are being made and the things that we are going to be challenged to and and are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? I think sometimes there's a sense of, well, you know, maybe we'll just kind of be quiet and kind of fly under the radar and all Daniel had to do was do nothing for 30 days and he would have been fine. Doing nothing wasn't an option to him. Because he had this priority of talking with the creator of the universe, the one who was a sustainer of his life. It was his highest priority and he couldn't set it aside. I love this line I read this week. Daniel knew that the safest thing he could do was radically obey God. That was the most important, that was the single most important thing he could do was radically obey God. And when the world is calling us to do something and God is calling us to do something else, we're called to live radically and radically live out for the glory of God. We live in a world we tend to be people pleasers because the person can hire or fire you or break your heart or cause slander or they can make things generally, generally miserable for us. But the power to obey God and stand for him comes from a settled understanding that God is in control. And I'm going to do what he's called me to regardless of the cost. Three times every day, repetition, faithfulness, consistency, consistency. You know, we don't make those bumpers to drive you crazy before the message, but that one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three. Like, can't that guy count? Like, what's with that guy? It's all about repetition, it's all about consistency. And so, as you, it starts to grate on you a little bit, let it live in your life as far as legacy goes. And what's my legacy as it relates to my view of God and my fear of him? What's my legacy as it comes from prayer? And it's gonna come out of being consistent and being in repetition and being faithful. You see, when Daniel had to pray, he had the right priority. Why? Because it was important to him. It was critical to him that he talked with his God. It was spontaneous for him. He didn't have to remember five days afterwards, oh yeah, yeah, I should be praying. It was the first thing he did. Why? Because he had been doing it. It was a priority for him. It was immediate. It was instinctive for him. Because he knew that prayer worked. He prayed. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Well, there was a relationship. There was a priority. Here's the next thing. The legacy of prayer comes out of right practices, It comes out of right practices. It says three times a day, three times every day. He would go and he would pray. And you're like, three times a day? Where did he ever find time to do that? Do you understand that Daniel was in the top rungs of all the leadership in the nation at that time? He wasn't just some guy working out on the line. He was a busy guy, and three times a day, he would discipline himself to pray. Is that mystical? Is that the important part? No, that's not the most important thing. It could be two, it could be four, it could be five, but here's the point, he had a right practice. He knew what to do, and he did it, and in the middle of all of his busyness, he found time to pray. So don't tell me you don't have time. You're the same number of hours in a day that he had. Same number of hours in a week that he had. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy doing the wrong things. And you need to change some things and get some things in the right place so you can find time to pray. Believe me, I struggle with this. I get up, I get here in the morning, and man, the lights just go on, and everything just goes, and you get home, and you like, where did that go? Did you take time to pray? He had right practices. I'm sure he prayed more than those three times, but he gives us a great picture of three times a day he prayed. I have been so blessed to marry into a family that understood about praying. So give me those words of thanks. I have been blessed in ways that some of you in this room can't be blessed because you don't have what I have—not stuff I have, but it's in the area of prayer. Right here, I have three prayer journals. This is Sue's mom's prayer journal, Sue's dad's prayer journal, and Sue's prayer journal. Sue's mom went to be with the Lord a number of years ago, and I just looked through this and see who she was praying for and what she was praying for, lists of family members, certain days of the week. I opened it in the last service, and I noticed that she was praying for my mom and dad. And uh, it's just page after page after page after page after page. That was her prayer journal. This is Sue's dad's prayer journal, and this one I have to be so careful when you even open it because the pages are about to fall out. And he had he had created his own um, um, symbols and stuff, and not not a prayer language, not like that. But but it, you went through you couldn't read a lot of it um, because he had his own things in it. And but there's things in here about the character of God and all these little pages and names of people, and some of you are on those pages and. There's a list of probably 40 names and another list of 40 names. And I I married into that. You talk about winning the lottery? That's what I married into. And guess what? The example that they led rubbed off on their little girl, who's my wife. And this is Sue's current prayer journal. She has other ones. But these are her prayer journals, and some of you are in this, and different things that she prays for, and how she prays for them, and wow. You see, Daniel had right practices. He was doing the right things. You know, I think about um, the Bowman family, and uh, they had two daughters, Sue and Lori, who uh, married really, really nice guys. they have um, five grandchildren who all love the Lord, who are all seeking to love the Lord. And they have seven grandchildren who are at the age they're at have either put their trust in Christ or are understanding about putting their trust in Christ. And they can't help but wonder about the connection between those prayer journals and that faithfulness and the salvation that they've seen in their family. And my thing today is not to put somebody on a guilt trip who hasn't fulfilled this or accomplished this in their life, as I said to the man last night who wanted that prayer, as long as there is breath, as long as you have life, there is hope. And so you don't give up and you never stop. But do you pray for your kids? Do you pray for your family like that do you cry out to the Lord do you have a practice that people could see and and that they could understand Daniel had a right practice here's another thing Daniel had a place Daniel had a place where he prayed. In verse 10 it says, in his upper chamber in the room with the windows open facing towards Jerusalem. He had a place. He had a place where he went to pray. Again, I'm using Sue's family as the illustration. Not that they were perfect people, far from perfect people, but they were people who prayed The last apartment Sue's mom and dad lived in, I can still see it, the rocker, the glider that she would sit in where she would pray. And right beside it was a little table or thing where where that binder would be. She had a place and she would sit down there and she would go through those pages and she would pray across the room over by the window was where Sue's dad had his chair and that's where his binder would be and that's where he would pray. He had a place where he prayed. He studied the Word there. He probably read his Reader's Digest there too, but he had a place where he went to pray. Sometimes when we drive to visit them out in St. Jacob's, you'd pull up the road and you'd see him sitting in his chair. You'd be reminded that he's praying for you. If you came to our house at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, please don't. Actually, not tomorrow because we'll be away, so go rob the place if he wants all there for you. You would find Sue at the kitchen table With her Bible open and her journal open, praying. If she was out working, she'd be doing that at seven or whatever time it would be. But she had a place. And do you have a place where you pray? You realize, is that all that important? It's just another piece. And if you don't have the pieces, you don't have the whole. And so he had a place where he went and where he prayed. It's interesting in um, talking about the Lord in Luke 5, it says, but he would withdraw to a desolate place and he would pray. Jesus would go and find a place to pray. In Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. It's not everybody to see. And pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In Matthew 26, 36 to 39, when Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began, he began to be sorrowful and troubled and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus would go Often by himself, different places, but to a place where he could pray. So, understanding underneath the fear of God, do you have a relationship with Him that brings you to a place of prayer that will leave a legacy of prayer? Is it a priority? in your life? Do you have a right practice? Do you have a, a right place where you can go? And then we can even take a look at the posture of his prayer. And we're going to see it specifically in a minute. The Bible talks a lot about different ways that we can pray. Um, I'm going to go through them quickly. The first one is that we bow. We bow when we pray. We used to always say to our kids when we'd say grace, I mean, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Why? So that we wouldn't be distracted and we would show reverence to God. In Psalm 5:7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Psalm 95:6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Bowing is a sign of respect and honor. And when you pray, we don't come flippantly to God, but we come and we bow, or maybe we stand. In Chronicles uh, chapter 6, um, it says Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple. He knelt before God to pray while the people stood. In 2 Chronicles 25 and 6, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before uh, the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And he, he stood. When I got home last night, Sue said, you didn't mention anything about sitting when you pray." You know, the Bible says very little about sitting when you pray. You go home and you try and find it. You won't find much. You'll find a passage with David where it said that he sat down and he prayed. I'm not saying you can't sit when you pray. But sitting and prayer became much more popular when pews and stuff ended up in churches. Um, People knelt a whole lot more or they stood when they prayed and It used to be when you went into a church, there'd be racks all underneath the the pews and they'd they'd be kneeling so you could kneel to pray. It's not wrong to sit when you pray because it's not about whether whether you're standing or whether you're bowing or whether you're sitting. It's about your heart. But so often the external is the expression of our heart. The Bible talks about laying prostrate, flat out on the ground. Moses fell in the presence of the Lord in Numbers 16, and in Joshua, in Joshua 5, 14, and Job fell to the ground and worshiped when he was in the depths of despair, and there comes times in our lives where we need to be flat out on our face before God. I talked to a man at the end of the last service who went through a bout with cancer, and, uh, he was just thanking me and us as a church for prayers for him during that whole time. But he said, When you talked about laying prostrate, out on the floor. Because I can remember doing that. I didn't know where to turn. I was on my face on the ground crying out to God. Revelation 7:11 says, "And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. He deserves it. He is God. How about this? How about raising your hands when you pray? Are, are you kidding? I can't even get my hands up when we worship. Now you want me to put my hands up when we pray? I don't know, it just says it in the Bible. So you decide what you want to do with it. But in Psalm 134, one and two, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. In your closet, in your place where you are, Do you come before the Lord with your hands raised to him, almighty God? Do you fall on your face before the Lord? Do you stand when you pray? Do you sit when you pray? Do you kneel when you pray? That's the the illustration we see in Daniel's life. It says he got down on his knees three times, three times a day, are you kidding me? Three times a day. When he came before God, he got down on his knees. Well, what's that a picture of? Being down on your knees is a, a picture of the reality of, of um, you're begging. You're begging. Well, that just doesn't really fit with the way I feel about things. Do you realize who you're talking to? We come before God. He allows us into his presence. Then we come on our knees not that we're going to get there and he's going to slap us around. He loves it when his children come. But what's our heart when we come before the Lord? When was the last time you got down on your knees to pray? When? It says about Jesus, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Just before Stephen was stoned to death and falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this against them. Acts 9.40 and Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed. Paul in Acts 20, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and he, he prayed. When, when people think about you, and your prayers. When they think about you and your legacy, what do they remember? What are they thinking about? Daniel's told you you're not allowed to pray for 30 days and immediately he goes to pray. And he doesn't give up is the last point. A legacy of prayer is a legacy that requires perseverance. Notice what it says in verse 10. It says he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As he had done previously. This is what Daniel did. This was his legacy. The reason we remember him, the reason we know the story of Daniel in the lion's den is because he wouldn't stop praying, and he did what he always did, and he persevered in prayer, and he didn't give up. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He didn't stop as we learned in Philippians 4 when we were studying this, it says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. What does thanksgiving cause us to do? It causes us to remember. It causes us to look back. It causes us to rejoice in what God has done. You cannot do that if you're not doing it. And so we're called to persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. Well, what did it get him? It got him a trip to the lion's den. That's what it got him. Did he know the lions weren't going to eat them? No, he didn't no more than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew they were gonna be protected in the fiery furnace, but they went and it was with a, if the Lord delivers us, that's amazing. And if he doesn't, that's okay too, because we're gonna stand for God. We're gonna stand for what he's called us to. And so Daniel cries out to God three times a day for 30 days when he's told, you're not allowed to do that. That's not politically correct anymore. I'm going to obey God rather than man. It got him a trip to the lion's den. And miraculously, God protected him and delivered him. But guess what? It wasn't, it's not why he prayed. He wasn't praying for his agenda. He was praying for what God had for him. So he's in the lion's den and the next morning the king comes because he didn't want this to happen. He was trapped in this thing and they take the lid off and there's Daniel and they bring him out and they throw the guys in who had created this whole thing against him and um, the lion's mouths weren't shut against them at all. They were like, they were lion chow. That's what he, those guys were. And, uh, and God protected him. But, but Daniel wasn't praying for his result. He was praying for what God would do. And when we think about Daniel, the number one thing you think about is the lion's den. Why? Because he wouldn't stop praying. Anybody saying that about me? Anybody saying that about you? We want to leave a legacy, being a person of God who cries out to God and sees God work and rejoices in God's working in his faithfulness well so what 2nd Chronicles seven fourteen says if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land we're called to pray and have a legacy of prayer We talk around this church about believing firmly in the power of prayer. It needs to be the story of my life, of your life. It needs to be the story of our church. We're powerless when we don't pray and we're powerless because we don't pray. Mrs. Gibson, Mrs. Lozell, R.W. Lawson, Mary Burgess, Ruth Whittingstall, Gil Bowman, Shirley Bowman, Vern McDonald, Sue Whittingstall. Who are these people? They were people when I was thinking about who has a legacy of prayer that I could think of. I think there are only, other than Sue and I, two other people in the entire room who know who Mrs. Gibson is. She prayed for me. Hour after hour, she would pray. Mrs. Lazalle, when I was a youth director, she um, I was speaking in her church where she attended and she said after the service, I'm gonna pray for you every day. I thought, well, that's nice, thank you. No, no, because if Satan could knock you off the rails, it won't just impact your family. It won't just impact you. It's gonna impact all of these leaders and all these students that God's called you to and I, I liked it better when you just said you were gonna pray for me every day. Mary Burgess, that's my grandma. Roy Lawson, he was my mentor. Ruth Whittingstall, that was my mom. Gil Bowman and Shirley Bowman, that's Sue's mom and dad. Vern McDonald is a great friend of mine and of our church who still prays for me and my wife. I'm sure there are people in our church who pray for me every day and I covet that and I'm thankful to God for that, but these are people who had a legacy of prayer. You know what's concerning about that list? Most of them are women. Don't get me wrong. Thank God for women who pray. But why isn't the list filled with men who pray? Why isn't that our legacy? How can a guy get 37 years into ministry and when he thinks about the people who had a legacy of prayer, most of them are women? Men? What are we going to do about that? How's that gonna change us? Will we be the story that's told like Daniel because we were faithful and we were committed and we prayed? God helping us. Would we be people of God who pray, who leave a legacy of prayer? We must pray. Our view of God depends on it. Our families depend on it. And the legacy that I leave depends on it. In fear of God, I will pray. I want that to be part of my story. And everyone in the room, that should be the desire of our heart as well. Let's pray together. Father, uh, this is your word. Daniel, so many things in that one verse, in verse 10, that he did. Oh God, teach us to pray. Would the next generation remember us as people who prayed? Were the neighbors, when we move out of town, will they be the people who remembered that we were people who prayed? Will the people in our workforce, even though they denied the Lord Jesus Christ, will they know that 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 person was a person of prayer? Oh God, would my kids know? Would that be the legacy we leave for them? God, would you do your work in your way? Would you break us of ourselves and our pride and even the thoughts that might be going through our mind right now? Break us of those things, God. And drawing us in the fear of God to the throne of grace in prayer. Because you love it when your children come. Do your work in your way for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.